We've got a special guest this morning. Uh, pretty much the same introductions I had for, for Matt here last month. Back in January, we met here um, for a North American Church Planning Foundation at the end of January, the snow, snowy day. Uh, but I've only known Adam for about six months. And he also was one of the pastors that was on the panel at our uh, preaching conference that we had to get up in front of, of course. So that's always intimidating when you got these pastors looking at you with their pen in their hand, as I said, when Matt was here. But I just want to say this, um, as I said with the others, outside of this church, Adam and all these guys have been so encouraging to me. Uh, you know, it's just, it's unexplainable sometimes when you sit back and think about uh, this, just these past few months uh, in my life, just kind of going through some things. And uh, as far as churches and Harbins is concerned, so he's from Johns Creek. I don't, I didn't know you could get here from Johns Creek, but you can. <laughs> but uh, we'll let him kind of uh, go into that a little bit. Uh, they're planning a church here this year, Redemption Baptist Fellowship, and uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit later in some of the announcements. And uh, we'll let Adam explain that a little bit. So, Adam, well, good morning, church. Good morning. I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of John, chapter 10. And as you are turning there, uh, two thoughts on my heart and my mind. First, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here. It's always uh, an honor and a privilege and, and something that uh, I take seriously to, uh, to study the Word um, with you and, and apply through the power of the Holy Spirit God's words for us. And so uh, it's my prayer that this morning as we look at the Word that the Word would be transformative in our lives and that there would be a spirit of conviction where there needs to be conviction and a spirit of encouragement where there needs to be encouragement. And also, I want to, um, to just uh, ask your prayers for the church plant. Uh, as Tony mentioned, I met Pastor Steve and Tony through church planting efforts. And uh, these two, I've met, I met, like Tony said, I met him probably about six months ago. Uh, Pastor Steve, I met uh, probably a little over a year ago. And so both of these men have been very encouraging to, to me personally and to our work uh, in church planting and that whole process. And so uh, I've just been very blessed to get to know them. And, and quickly they have become uh, friends and brothers in the faith that have been a tremendous encouragement. And also I have enjoyed hearing about you as the congregation from them and how God is working in the life of, of this local expression of God's church and how God has gifted you to reach this community and advance the gospel here and abroad. And so I am very encouraged from things like being here at the preaching conference and getting to know some of you uh, by the work that God's doing here. And I would ask your prayers for us as we plant in Johns Creek. When we started feeling the Lord stirring our hearts for church planting and, and seeking where that would be, we weren't really sure. And so as we went through the process, we learned that Johns Creek is the eighth largest city in Georgia. There's about 82,000 people that live in the city of Johns Creek. And so of those 82,000 people, about 84% would not be in church this morning. They 
do not attend a religious service each week. 49% are non-religious adherents. And so not necessarily that they are atheists, but they are not practicing any religion, not just Christianity. And so uh, we learned that there, here even in the Bible Belt in metro Atlanta, there is a vast lostness in that city. And so I would really just appreciate your prayers as we begin uh, the process of planting and reaching that community with the gospel. And so this morning we will be looking at John chapter 10, which is the Good Shepherd Discourse. And as we look at this, It's my prayer that we would see Jesus in this passage and see him as the good shepherd, which is the good news. And so just by way of introduction, you may uh, have heard about the two men in a classroom who were called upon to recite the 23rd Psalm. Most of us are probably familiar. At some point, we've heard the 23rd Psalm. One man was an orator. He was trained in speech technique. And he repeated the 23rd Psalm in the most powerful way that you could ever imagine hearing that psalm read. And when he was finished, the audience cheered and they asked for an encore that they could hear his wonderful voice just one more time. And then the second man was called on to recite the 23rd Psalm. His speech was a a lot less polished than the first individual who repeated the 23rd Psalm, although the second man used the same familiar words. And you know those words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But when he had finished, the crowd, instead of cheering and, and asking for an encore, sat with a spirit of quiet reflection and devotion. And, and finally, the first man, who was the orator, stood slowly, and this is what he said. He said, the difference between what you have heard from me and from my friend is that you heard from me the psalm, but you heard from my friend that he knows the shepherd. And so my goal as we read this passage and study this passage is that we would leave here this morning corporately and individually, knowing the shepherd better. That we wouldn't just know words, but that our our hearts would be transformed. Our hearts would be gripped by the shepherd himself. And so, if you would, join me as we pray, and then we'll read our scripture together. So, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together corporately this morning and worship you. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to us now through the power of your word. We pray that you would uh, speak to our lives in, in a way where we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. And Father, we thank you so much for the Good Shepherd. We thank you that, that you love us so much that you sent your Son to be, uh, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so, Father, this morning I pray that we would uh, apply that, that we would, that we would apply your love and the forgiveness that we have through your Son um, wherever we may need it in our lives, and that we would give you all of the honor and all of the glory, and that we would see Jesus and him only today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 10, we uh, are actually going to look at a large uh, large portion of this, the first 21st verses of the chapter. So I'll read it and then, and then we'll take it apart, but, uh, but I won't go back and read it a second time. So uh, chapter 10, verse 1 starts, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father." There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is obsessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so as Jesus is speaking here, we see a few things from the text. First, in the first three verses, we see that the shepherd attends his own sheep. The shepherd attends his own sheep. And so in this context that, that John is writing, in the Jewish context, God was seen by the people of Israel as a shepherd. And Israel saw themselves as the sheep who were faithful to their shepherd. And so we see all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Old Testament, that, that God is presented as the chief shepherd. We see this in Genesis 48, 15, 49, 24, and then in Psalm 23, in Psalm 25, verse 9, in Psalm 78, verse 52, and then Psalm 80, verse 1, Isaiah 40, verse 11, Jeremiah 31.10, Ezekiel 34.11. So there's a 
And I just say all that to say that there's a pattern throughout the Old Testament where God is presented in this way. He is presented as the great shepherd. And then Jesus makes a bold claim here that, that he is the good shepherd. And so this is why at the end of the passage, some of the Jewish people are saying there's a division among them because some are saying he has a demon and he is insane. And C.S. Lewis makes that, that argument about Jesus also. He says you can't just say that Jesus was a good man or Jesus was a good teacher. You have to say that he was a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. And some of these Jews bought into that, that second argument. They thought he is crazy. He's out of his mind. There's a man who is claiming to be the good shepherd. And, and there was a misunderstanding of how, how Jesus could be the good shepherd when God was presented as the good shepherd. And the, the truth of the gospel is that Jesus is the good shepherd because he is God. He is very God of very God. And he came from heaven to earth. He lived a perfect sinless life. And he died on the cross for your sin and my sin because he was God incarnate, God in the flesh. That's why at the beginning of this book, John writes, in the beginning, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And so Jesus is is presented in this way. And Jesus is presented in the New Testament as the great shepherd. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, Jesus is presented as the great shepherd. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. Four, Jesus is presented as the chief shepherd. And then in Revelation chapter 7, verse 17, Jesus is presented as the lamb that would be their shepherd. And so when we see in this passage at the beginning in verse 2, John is writing and he talks about he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And the idea is that in the sheepfold, robbers and thieves might try to break in. Something might try to come to steal, kill, or destroy these sheep. And there was something different, though, about the shepherd. When the shepherd came to the sheepfold, he didn't have to break in. He didn't have to try to to find an alternate way in. He came through the front gate. The gatekeeper opened the door for him because he was the owner or the master of the sheep. And so the question for us, I think, in that context is, does Jesus move freely in your life? Does Jesus move freely? Is the door open for him? And so we see a picture that you may be familiar with. I remember growing up seeing an old painting of Jesus knocking on the door, and, and, and we're familiar with the passage from Revelation where, uh, where Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And so I think the question for us, even as believers, is are, are we letting Jesus come in and have fellowship with him? Or do we wake up in the morning and we get busy because we're running late for work? We've got things to do with the kids. That we've got to get the kids ready for school. We've got to get everything situated for the day. And we rush out the door and we forget to spend time with the shepherd. We forget to have fellowship with him. And the encouragement that I want to give you is make time and make a way for the shepherd to come into the sheepfold. Make 
make a way for you to commune with your God, with your good shepherd, because you and I, we are the sheep, and we have a good shepherd who cares greatly for us. And he cares so greatly for us that he laid down his life for you and for me as his sheep. And so the shepherd attends his own sheep. But not only does he attend his own sheep, but the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. I read about a a man in Australia who was arrested and charged with sheep stealing. And so he... He protested that the sheep was his, and it had wandered away from his sheepfold, and that it had recently come back, and he did not steal another man's sheep. And so when this was brought to court, the judge wasn't really sure how to deal with this case in particular and how to solve the issue because it was basically one man's word against another man's word. And so the judge decided to do something um, pretty smart. He asked that the sheep be brought into the courtroom, and then he ordered the plaintiff to step outside and call the animal. The sheep made no response except to raise its head and look around with, with a frightened look on its face. And so then the judge instructed the defendant to go out into the courtyard and to call the sheep. And when the accused man to, began to make his distinctive call, the sheep ran toward the door and toward that man's voice. And it was obvious that the voice was familiar to the sheep, and the judge dismissed the case. And the judge said this, he said, his sheep knows him. And I love that because that should be true of you and me. People that you work with, people that you live around, people that you play with, they should look at you and they should look at me and they should say, man, he or she knows the shepherd. His sheep know him. There should be something different about us because we have that fellowship with the shepherd. And so the question here is, do you know the voice of the shepherd? Do you know the voice of the shepherd? We know the voice so familiar of those who are closest to us, right? I can recognize my wife's voice and my kids' voices quicker than I can recognize anyone else. My kids, I have a four-year-old daughter and a one-year-old daughter, and they are in Indiana right now with their grandparents. And so I look forward every day to hearing their voice. And that's how it should be in our relationship with our, our Savior. We should look forward to knowing his voice and hearing his voice. And then we should also know his voice distinctively. The church I pastored for several years before we planted Redemption Baptist in Johns Creek, uh, the congregation was was mostly young families. And so our church kind of got to a point where the the toddlers and the bed babies were about to outnumber us as adults. And so we weren't really sure what was going to happen after that happened. But um, we one thing that I noticed, we had a side hallway with a fellowship hall at the end of that. And so the toddlers, you know, we always run around in those, those rooms and whatnot. And then, uh, I mean, every time some kid would would get upset about something. They would get hurt or somebody would steal a toy or something. And so you would hear from the fellowship hall and down the hallway toward the nursery area, you would hear somebody cry. And what amazed me is you have all of these moms 
and, and all of these moms hear the cry and they kind of look at each other and they say, oh, that's mine. And I'm like, it, all the babies sound the same, right? But to, to all of these young mothers, they know their babies cry. It doesn't sound like another baby's cry. And, and they know them because they've spent time with them. There's an intimate relationship between a mother and a child. And there should be an intimate relationship between our Heavenly Father and you as sons and daughters of your heavenly father. And he should know your voice, and, and he does. He knows what you're asking for. He knows what you need. He knows what you're going through. He knows what keeps you awake at night. He knows what you're rejoicing for. He knows what you're hoping for. He knows what you're longing for. He knows everything about you. And so often we don't take time to know our heavenly father. We don't know what our heavenly father's agenda is. We don't know how he's working around us. We don't know what he's trying to teach us because we we neglect to get to know his voice. And so the challenge is that we would spend time with the shepherd. And so I just challenge you if you're if you're not doing that to make sure that you're setting aside time to spend with the shepherd on a daily basis and then longer periods of time at certain times. And just a practical thing that, that I do is, um, is I, I have to keep a calendar. I've got, you know, a lot of different things, and I'm, I'm pretty forgetful. Uh, so I have to write things down or put it, put it in, my, in my phone. And so I put my time with my Heavenly Father in my phone, just like any other appointment, just like I'm going to make an appointment with Tony. I'm going to put it in my phone and make sure that I'm there and I have a reminder. And so the same thing is true with my time in the Word and in prayer and in and, and, and worship. And so make sure that we're doing that. We're setting aside time to know our Heavenly Father. And so then the third thing that I want us to see out of this text comes from verses 7 through 10, and it's that the sheep find pasture, that the sheep find pasture. So in these particular verses, Jesus gives the illustration that he is the door. And so as the door of the sheep, Jesus is the one through whom eternal life is received. And so this is, this is that he is the door to salvation. He is the door to a relationship with our Heavenly Father. He is the way that we come to know God Himself. And so John 14, 6 tells us that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. And so there's, there's no other way to come to the Father. There's no other way that, that we can really know God. And so there seems to be a push in our culture where we should be all-inclusive, right? And we should be all-accepting. And whatever you believe for you is fine for you. And if that works for you, then, then the idea of the culture is, I shouldn't mess with that. I shouldn't offend you. And, and I, I read Scripture, and I see what God has done in my 
own life. And, and I want you to know this morning, I believe that the most loving thing that we can do for someone is to tell them that Jesus is the only way, that he is the truth and he is the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. He is the door. He is the way to God. And we have to tell people that if we love them because it's true. And without embracing that truth, we spend eternity separated from God forever. And so I think that the most loving and generous thing we can do is to share the truth of the gospel. And so how does all of this happen? I want you, if you would, to take, um, you mark your place there and go with me to Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. I'll give you just a second to get there. We'll look at chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And so I guess the what this morning would be that Jesus is the door, that he is the way to eternal life, he is the way to God. And then Colossians tells us the how, how that happened. And so Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And you... Who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And so, understand what what is happening here in this passage in Colossians. What is happening is that you have a record of debt that stands against you. And your record of debt is all of your trespasses. It's all of your iniquity. It's all of your sin against a holy and a perfect God. And then the passage says that there are legal demands for that fault, for breaking God's law. There are legal demands. And so what what are the legal demands? The legal demands is that because we have sinned, we deserve nothing from God. We deserve the wrath of God. And so the legal demand is that we would be punished forever, separated from him in hell. But then God made a way for that not to happen and instead gave us the greatest grace and the greatest mercy that one could ever give because he sent, sent his son and he was able to set your record of debt aside by nailing it to the cross. So through the hands and the feet of his beloved, only begotten son, your record record of debt was canceled by God. And that is the good news of the gospel. That is the good news that Jesus is the door because he is the good shepherd. And in this passage, in these particular verses, uh, Jesus promises abundant life. And that is the abundant life that we have, have been pronounced not guilty because Jesus died in your place for your sin, for your sin that had a legal demand 
to it. And so he promises abundant life, which begins already here and now. I meet a lot of Christians who think of abundant life, and they think, oh, I get abundant life. That's one day in heaven. That's when we're all walking on streets of gold. That's when there's no more tears. That's when there's no more crying. That's when there's no more dying. And I'm looking forward to the day when we can have abundant life. And I just want to tell people, the abundant life starts now. Don't wait for eternity. But when Jesus comes into your heart, when, when Colossians also, Paul writes, Christ in you is the hope of glory, then, then the abundant life starts then. If you have Christ Jesus living inside of you, I can't think of a better way to spend my life. I can't think of a more abundant thing that I could do. And this Jesus promises as he calls his followers not to have a, a mundane, meaningless, uh, poor, uh, unexciting life, but instead to have a life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, a life where we are, where we are putting everything on the table and we're saying, God, I'm going to go wherever you go. I'm going to say whatever you want me to say to whoever you want me to say it to, and I'm going to get up every day of my life and I'm going to live by your grace in the power of your spirit. And I'm going to, to be part of, of your agenda, which is the great commission, which is to go into all the world and to make disciples. I'm going to be a part of things like Acts 1-8, where we're to be his witnesses. And the wording there is in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. And, and, and so we have an abundant life where we can, we can do those things, even as Tony read about the people group this morning, um, what an exciting, abundant life thing to be a part of, that there is a people group on the other side of the world that you may never see and that you may never meet, but you can get down on your knees and you can lift them up in prayer. And there might be someone that comes to faith in Jesus, in that people group. And one day we'll all be gathered around the throne in glory and we will be worshiping and you will hear their story of how they came to faith in Jesus. And, and, and I believe that God may let us look back and he may remind you in your heart of the, when you prayed for that people group. And there's just such an incredible connection there because God calls us to live an abundant life and, and he calls us to live in an abundant blessing in Ezekiel 34 uh, and throughout the whole chapter, particular uh, verses 12 through 15. And this is a joyful life, not abundance of physical things, but an abundance of knowing God as our Savior. And so then the fourth thing that we see in this passage comes in the last 10 verses, 11 through 21. And it's the, the best news of all, I think. And we've already, already been going there. It's that the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And so in these verses, Jesus talks about offering pasture for his sheep. And he gave his life for his sheep that they may ha have pasture. And so what is pasture? Pasture is that they have what they need. They have food. They have 
rest. And so the truth of the gospel is that when we come through Jesus, we find pasture. And we have rest in him. And we have peace in him. And we have security in him because we know that he holds us and we don't hold him. And that he will take care of us. And we know from Romans chapter 8 at the end of the chapter that there is nothing, not even life, nor death, nor angels, nor demons, nothing that can ever separate you from his love. And God's holding on to you tight. And so this morning, if you're here and, and you've, you've been, been discouraged and you've been uh, just, just trying to figure out how the Christian life works, I want you to be encouraged that nothing can separate you from, from the good shepherd because he laid down his life for his sheep. And so <clears throat> Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John, I love that image of John the Baptist baptizing in the Jordan River, and he keeps saying, one's coming that's greater than me. Well, another was coming. I'm the forerunner. And then one day he sees his cousin, Jesus, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And and Jesus' ministry begins at that point. And so that's a great declaration to the good shepherd, that he is also the Lamb of God who lays down his life. And he has the authority in this, in this particular verses. We see that Jesus says he has the authority to lay down his life. That's the crucifixion. And then he has the authority or the power to take it up again. And we see that in the resurrection. And so this morning I want to end um, with, with a challenge. And then also if you want to turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 23. Um, I want to just close with that psalm. And as we read this, I want you to know that if you're here this morning and, and you haven't placed your faith in the Good Shepherd, um, today would be a great day to do that because he offers abundant life. He answer, offers for your record of debt to be canceled, to be set aside. And he's provided a way for that to happen through his son and through Jesus. And then if you are here, a believer, and you're, you're discouraged in your, in your journey and your spiritual pilgrimage, or you, you are, things are going good and you're walking in the joy of the Lord, I want you just to be reminded of Psalm 23, that, that he walks with us, that the Lord is our shepherd. And so may we as believers be obedient to our shepherd. So I'll read the psalm and then we'll pray and, and turn it back over to Tony. So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May we pray that God would appropriate that into our hearts. Father, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. We thank you that you loved us so much that you graciously gave your, your only son for us.
to lay down his life for your sheep. And so, Father, we thank you that Psalm 23 is true when we believe that Jesus is the door, that he is the only way, the the truth, and the life, and that we come to know you through him. And so, Father, we, we know with confidence this morning that you are our shepherd. And, Father, I pray that we wouldn't want for anything. I pray that we wouldn't be distracted by the things of the world, but instead we would be satisfied in you and that we would be satisfied in the grace that you've given us. And so, Father, I pray that you would just appropriate this truth into our hearts this week. Father, I pray that this week we would know the shepherd better than we did before. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.